0: Remember um, last week when I shared that I had a problem with the parable we talked about? Yeah, this week is no different. Um, <laughs> now, this parable is unique to Luke's gospel, and it's it's disturbing. Well, actually, I think most of Jesus's parables can be disturbing. You know, even the writer of Luke tries to soften the blow, you know. But, you know, I think the parables, I think they're supposed to rattle us, they're, uh, to make us see ourselves in each other in a different light, in the light of God's transforming love. But this parable, this pushes the limit. It does. Um, it, it is full of slander, Knee jerk reactions, seedy backroom deals, appalling behavior, and no one so much as receives a scolding. In fact, the shenanigans are praised. So I'm going to read it to you, retell it, and then I want to get your reaction. Okay, here we go. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you are no longer my manager any, anymore. And then the manager said to himself, oh, What am I going to do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that I may... so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people will welcome me into their homes. And so he summoned all of his master's debtors, and one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Woohoo! And then he asked another, How much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He says, Take your bill and, and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation then they are the children of light. And here's the moral. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If you then have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? You see how it's kind of yeah okay, <laughs> and and if you know you've been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what you give you what is your own? Okay. Um, <clears throat> No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. There you go. Okay. Well, let's sing the last hymn and go home. Um, <laughs> you know, when you look at this, there are about five parts uh, to it. The setup, the crisis, the gamble, the payoff, and of course the morals. So let's uh, walk through this. Here's the setup. The scene opens when the CEO hears a rumor about a certain manager wastefully spending money. Jesus says, "Squandered it." It's the same use. You know, it's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about. Uh, the prodigal son's uh, money-management style. However, we have no idea how he squandered it, or even if the accusation is true. But we know that it got the CEO's attention, and so the CEO calls the manager into his office, but before the manager can even walk in, the CEO meets him out in the hallway and says, you're fired. Now, clean out your desk, get me your books so that I can have you, uh, so I can see how you've been wasting my money. There's no proof of this, no chance of appeal, there's no due process. He was guilty without even a chance to prove his innocence. He was prejudged and acted. Uh, and the manager acted out of that prejudice. It was simple, it was swift, and it was ruthless. And the way Luke describes uh, what happened, uh, someone accused the manager, you know, with messing with the books or so. We don't know who made the accusation. And we don't even know if it's true. But we do know that the accusation was made out of deliberate malice. The word um, that, that Jesus uses in the Greek um, for the charges brought to him are rooted in the word diabolo. Diablo? That's right, diabolical? That's right, that's right. That's where we get that word from. And he was accused with... The, the purpose and the intent of maligning his name and reputation. Someone was out to get him. Someone was out to assassinate his character. But we have no idea who it was. I mean, he doesn't even get to face the accuser. It just kind of whoosh, happens there. Jesus never says who it is, and it's as though an amorphous malice skulks in the shadows, and is never caught. The guy was set up, and it worked. He got fired, and that put him in a very critical tailspin. Part two, the crisis. Now, I imagine that when this happened, first of all, this is kind of a personal question, but we're all persons, and so I'm going to go ahead. Okay. Have you ever had the experience of being fired, laid off, let go, forced into retirement? There we go. Okay. I imagine. Do you remember that moment when you were told this? Yeah, I imagine that for this guy, that all his blood drained into his boots. You know, when he woke up that morning, he hadn't the slightest inkling that he would be unemployed by noon. And I have had friends and family who've experienced that. As they were being told they were being let go, you know, they're brought into the managers or HR department, that very moment as they're being given the information, their passwords are being deleted and they're being locked out of the system. And then after those three minutes are over, they are led, escorted to their desk where they clean it out, and then they're shown the door. Mm. It is incredibly disorienting. So my heart goes out to this guy. You know, it, it's a scary job market out there. There are about ten times as many people out there just as qualified as you. Competing for the very same job. And if you are past a certain age, well, good luck, you wonder what you can do. So you start to take inventory of your marketable skills. You know, I took, I took two years off um, and tried to find work. And you know, it's really weird trying to put together marketable skills for being a pastor. You know, I, I tried to create secular language around it and i thought oh my gosh this is so styrofoam you know it it i wasn't very successful um but i i i i am here today so thank you very much <clears throat> <laughs> well assessing the, you know the skills that's what the manager was doing when he said um uh, he, when he realized, I don't have the strength for manual labor, and I'm too proud to beg, it's a crisis. How am I ever going to make it now? By the way, that's what a crisis is, remember? Remember that? It, it, um, that's a point when you make a decision. Crisis comes from the Greek word krisis, meaning to decide. And it's, a, and it's such a decision that not to make a decision is a decision for the status quo. You know, so the manager makes a decision, and he takes a gamble. Part three, the gamble. <clears throat> Before word gets out on the street uh, that he's been fired, he calls all of the CEOs debtors and cuts them a rather dubious deal, giving them up to 50% off their debts. And all of it comes out of the pocket of the CEO. Yeah. You know, I, some commentators say, oh no, he's just taking off his commission and da 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 No. No. That's what they owed the CEO. That's what they owed the rich man. And so uh, he's being a scallywag. Matter of fact, um, it's a type of embezzlement. And it's a little disturbing to hear it come out of the mouth of Jesus. We, now, we may feel a bit of satisfaction that, you know, the manager was stinging it to the man. But there's no justice in that. they're acting out of self-interest. You know, the, the, um, the uh, manager's acting out of self-interest, the CEO's acting out of self-interest, um, the, the rich guy, you know, is worried about his profit margins and then the mysterious slander man was out for spite and, and the manager's trying to save his hide and the de- debtors are out for a steal of a deal. You know, it's all kind of self-absorbed stuff and you're going, well, who's the redeeming character here? Well, wait till we get to the payoff. Part four, the payoff. <clears throat> the payoff is where all the problems happen. You see, when the master hears what the manager did, he, are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Well, you already know because I told you, right? He doesn't punish the manager. Right? He praises him. Thank you so much for stealing from me. You're such a guy. What? No. And He calls him shrewd. That is living by his wits and pluck and guile and just raw nerve. That's what really bothers me about the parable. I do not mind. I do not mind That old Br'er Rabbit pulled another fast one on old Br'er Fox. But praise? After all, we're Christians here, and this is hardly the story of Christian virtue. I mean, how are we going to teach this in Sunday school? How is Dorita doing it today? Okay, boys and girls, go out and commit fraud. (laughs) But do it in Christian love. Make lots of dishonest money, but remember to tithe it to the church. (laughs) Is this the lesson we're wanting? What's going on here? The accolades are so disturbing. So there's a retelling of the story. What do you think about it? Melinda. Melinda. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I imagine, you know, the apprentice, you're fired, you know, he does that in a little snake-like thing with his hand, and, and then the guy he fired is, oh, you're my type of folk, okay, good, yeah. Other thoughts? Yes. And who, who does that? It's the lender's advantage because $3,000 in the pocket is better than $10,000 you never go. Right. Who sends the letter? Uh, the... Um, Lender? The manager. No, 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 not Physically sends the letter, but who authorizes the letter? Well, that's part of the plan, I guess. So it's... Part of the plan. I am think, thinking is if the manager is really the manager, it's within his authority to do things like that. Ah, but he was fired. Oh you're trying to guarantee <laughs> <laughs> He yeah. And announces that to everyone, and so that puts the CEO in a position where you know he can say like, like, hey, you're like that's that was someone that's not allowed to do this, but if he does that, uh-huh. everyone's going to, to be very upset. Yeah. Yes, and they like him. They like him. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He 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 grained, he gained a lot of people cred that way. Yeah. Yes. I think the parable is uh, the flip side of the parable of the workers. <laughs> Yeah. Because God is in charge, and while His actions may seem capricious to us in our uh, accountability, uh, especially financially, yeah, 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 financially accountable way, they actually aren't. That's right, and no contract was signed. We know it there. Yeah. Yes. Notice he didn't get rehired. Ah, Hang on to that. I'm going to put a pin in that. But you're right. He leads us hanging with the parable. Yeah. It doesn't say what, what the manager who was fired. It doesn't say anything about what did he do with that money. Did he, when he settled those debts, did he keep yeah. that money for himself, you know, because he was unemployed? or did he take that money to his former boss and say, you know, I've collected this amount of money to show, you know, I really was a good guy and I was unjustly accused. hmm except he never got the money. How do you know? Because it says, oh. it says, what, what do you owe, mark through it, and then pay me this amount. But did he pay it to the manager? Did he pay it to the boss? That's what she's asking.
1: Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I see where you're going. Yeah, he, he collected on the debts early, didn't because he? Because if I was unemployed and I collected from former um, debtors uh, you know, that I have that relationship with, would you be tempted to keep that money for yourself? Uh, because you yeah. fired? Ah, uh, we don't know. That's one more for the embezzlement side, isn't it? Could be. Yes. <laughs> us to question our our obsession with money being the most important thing. Mm. And maybe this because we automatically go, oh that's wrong. He he cost him money. That's the worst possible thing. Like we have this yes. reaction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Visceral reaction to losing money. Yeah, and, yeah. And and the focus on money as being the most important thing. And they all do that in this story. The CEO you're absolutely right, and and the camera is drawn away from the money, and I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, yes. Uh, I was looking at the message of the same uh, the same one, and it says, yeah. The master praised the crook, praised the crooked manager, and why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are mm-hmm. they are on constant alert looking for angles surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way. That's kind of interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting. And yes, Mary, then I'm going to continue. I, I just always looked at that story as the manager not squandering the money, but having overcharged everybody to begin with. <laughs> he was making it right to the people that, that he overcharged. Uh-huh. So, that's right, and even the Lone Ranger wore a mask. <laughs> that's very good. Well, yes, yes. So now I want to look at some of the morals that, that are there. Um, uh, the first moral. Children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. Yeah, that makes sense to me. The church is finding itself in in a a huge quandary now because we don't know how to connect with the world with with a sense of relevancy. You know, and we struggle to to engage people. Um, But as you know, the church is becoming less and less of a priority for people. So how can we deal shrewdly without losing gospel integrity? Does faithfulness end with the world's measure of success? Or is there still a Calvary waiting for us? It's an interesting moral. Something to contemplate. Second one. I tell you my friends... Or make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth. So... That when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. (laughs) Don't you love that one? You know, I was tempted to do a children's sermon on that one. (laughs) That would have gotten me in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Well, more than I'm usually in. Um, I I thought about taking a wad of cash and saying, Hey kids, do you see this? I swiped it from the offering plate. (laughs) And and I'm going to give it to you because I want you to be my friend. Okay? And then I I just offer them them the money, you know, crisp and clean and wonderful. And I have Terry having a heart attack back here. (laughs) But I then imagined the phone calls and the inevitable meeting with the SPR and the district superintendent. But, you know, if I lost my appointment, I could bring my family and stay with you. Because after all, Jesus says... Oh. Hmm. Well, all right, that wouldn't work. Okay. <clears throat> Moral number three, whoever is faithful in very little is faithful and so also in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And that makes sense to me. Your patterns of motivation and behavior will be consistent, for the most part. In the little things, they might also be that way in the big things. Now, I can roll with that. We could talk about how our patterns of desire shape our priorities and our decisions and our actions and our behaviors. Uh, However, I have to say, faithfulness and dishonesty are really a pretty bizarre comparison. At least it's unusual. But wait, there's more. If you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And my only response to that is, huh? I mean, I'd love to run that through our social principles (laughs) and see what comes out, you know. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? Well, this makes a little more sense to me. Um, You prove you can handle the responsibility with the lesser and then the bigger things by drumming, or you can... Prove you can handle the responsibility with the bigger things by doing the lesser things. I mean, that's what we do with our kids, right? They, they're, they're doing pretty well. They, they're following the rules. Maybe if they go to driver's ed, they'll follow the rules of the road, too. So you pray, and you hope, and you give them the keys. With a string attached. Uh, <laughs> And no slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one or another or to be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, that makes sense to me, too. I mean, divided loyalties end up being no loyalty at all, since loyalty presumes an exclusivity. But the kicker comes with this. You cannot serve God and wealth. And that's how it ends up. But all of those different morals, you know, finally to get to that point, you know, scholars who have studied the scriptures argue that these morals don't actually come from Jesus but are interp- interpolations by the writer. Luke is trying to, to make sense of a rather dubious parable. And so he comes up with these different and disjointed morals in order to try and redeem them. Some are better than others, but there you are. The thing that some of you guys were, were, were touching on, the thing that surprises me in this whole story is how mercy suddenly shows up. You know, it seems to come on the scene unexpected. And we see, all of a sudden, mercy happening in their interactions with each other. You know, the the debtors, they get an unexpected windfall as portions of their debt are forgiven. It also happens with the master's response to the ex-manager. He doesn't take him to court for embezzlement, but commends him. Mercy. You know, Portia's right. Mercy is twice blessed in the one who gives it and the one who receives it. And <laughs> this is where... Uh, we come back to the, the pin, Chris, all right? <clears throat> um, straw poll. How many of you think the manager got his job back? Oh, okay, a few, okay. Yeah, a few, okay, a few more. Ed goes, me in that Luke was a lawyer. A lawyer. <laughs> there you go. Luke was a lawyer. Oh, is that right? Okay. Well, <clears throat> I think, well, William Herzog, who has done a study into parables and how it engages in third-world countries, he says he thinks that the manager got to keep his job. And Chris, you'll probably argue that, and that's good because that's a debate I'd love to see. His name is William Herzog, and I'll let you. (laughs) The thing that struck me you know, when I read this parable, is that this is a parable that starts in tragedy and ends in comedy. You know, Aristotle described um, tragedy as a result of a combination of arrogance, ignorance, and misplaced ambition. And we have all of that and more in this parable. We have that going on. So how does it end in comedy, a rogue's comedy? Uh And they might perform it there. Okay. The peasants have the windfall and the praising the master. The master commends the manager. The manager has relieved the peasants of burden and keeps his job, maybe. Everyone wins in this. Things were about ready to fall apart, and all of a sudden it wins, all due to that unexpected appearance of mercy that wasn't strained. Mercy and forgiveness. And Karl Barth, who is like one of the big brain theologians of the 20th century, says out of this very sad story of wrongdoing comes something that almost looks like the kingdom of God. And I think he's right. Mercy is enthroned in heaven. But it also makes me wonder if Jesus isn't talking about God here, but what if he's talking about you and me? What would happen if mercy is enthroned in our hearts, that the grudges and the grievances and, and justified anger don't receive retribution? but forgiveness instead. Imagine when mercy is enthroned in our hearts. Prejudice.